Today, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Swan Private. Now, you know from listening to this show that our money is broken. Fortunately, we have Bitcoin, a better money that will help us build a brighter future. But if you don't have a Bitcoin strategy and a trusted partner to help you execute that strategy, then you're probably going to fall behind. Now, I've known the Swan Bitcoin team for years. The Bitcoiners at Swan are mission driven and have deep expertise and respect in the Bitcoin space. In my opinion, this is the team you want on your side. Today, I'd like to highlight Swan's private client services division, which guides high net worth individuals and businesses around the world toward building and preserving wealth with Bitcoin. So visit swanprivate.com and learn how this concierge service gives you direct access to your dedicated Bitcoin advisor by phone, messaging, and email. Swan will guide you on complex areas such as self-custody, or you can choose to hold your Bitcoin through Swan with one of the largest U.S. regulated custodians. So make your first purchase with Swan Private and get $100 of Bitcoin. Just tell them that I sent you. You know, an opportunity like this to build and preserve legacy impacting wealth for your family and company will not likely be seen again in our lifetimes. Sign up at swanprivate.com today, mention Breedlove to your advisor, and get $100 in free Bitcoin when you make your first buy. Larry Lepard, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. It's an honor to have you. Um, we've exchanged quite a few communications on Twitter. I've uh, been talking about doing this for a while. Yeah. Really excited to have you in person. This is actually the first set of live or in-person interviews, rather, that I've done. So I'm honored to have you here. Likewise, it's uh, it's going to be a great show. Going to be a great show, and I figured, given your background and deep knowledge on the topic and the namesake of the show, why don't we just start with a big question: What is money? Yeah. So money is the most liquid good. It's what we all decide to. Um, it's a price signal that tells us what things are worth, what things are relatively worth, um, labor, goods, commodities, et cetera. Um, it, it is the one good that is the most liquid by definition most people accept and, and understand its value. Uh, and it's, it's what's kind of agreed upon by the marketplace, um, although that hasn't always been the case. Uh, fiat money is the most liquid good that government by fiat decrees as mm -hmm. money. And of course, pre-fiat money, the most liquid good was generally speaking gold, although there were times in pre-gold pre era when you know seashells and cattle and wheat and mm -hmm. horses and other things were, were money because right? you, know, you could trade them. Um, but that was really a sophisticated form of barter. And the precious metals uh, really kind of emerged as money in the early days and you know, the Sumerians and the Egyptians, et cetera. And it, it kind of continued through the Renaissance and so forth. And so until Bitcoin was invented, uh, the soundest form of money in the world were the precious metals, gold and mm -hmm. silver. And I run a fund which focuses on those two um, forms of money mm -hmm. and the miners that produce those. But Bitcoin came along in 2008 and shook that all up. <laughs> 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 Created a better form of money and <laughs> making me somewhat obsolete in my That's old it. business. But I'm morphing my old business into this new business. So, so that's a good answer to the question, what is money? Uh, how did we get to gold though? Like what are, what there, there have to be certain properties or characteristics to this technology we call money that people are seeking Correct. that gold fulfilled presumably. So like right. what are those? Durable, fungible, yeah. divisible. Um, you know, it was scarce, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, gold is mined every year and the supply, the world supply is growing at 1.7% a year. 
about the same rate that Bitcoin's growing before the next half half kind of halfening occurs. Huh. Um, you know, it, it it had the properties that made it was made it money. It was small enough and scarce enough that one could carry a fair amount of value in a small unit. Um, you know, the Roman denarius. Uh, Roman soldier was paid, you know, two denarii a year, which was a very small coin, about the size oh. of a quarter. Right. That was an annual year's wages, which is in part why silver also became money, because it's kind of hard to divide up half a year year's wages in one coin. Right, right, right. And so, so silver, which was more plentiful, the ratio of the two in the Earth's crust is about 16 to 1. Hmm. Uh, silver became another form of money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and throughout time, you know, all... As you might imagine, various countries made various bets on which was the better form, and India and China made the wrong call on that in the 1800s. And, mm-hmm. um, but it, in many cases, what happened was gold became the money for capital transactions, and silver became the money for day-to-day transactions. Mm. So you bought something big using gold because you could store a lot of value in a very small unit, and then when you went to buy smaller things, you had silver coins, mm. um, which you know had some ratio in their value to the gold that was there. So. I think that just the durability, I mean, the silver will tarnish, but generally speaking, the durability of the precious metals and the scarcity, the relative scarcity of them is what made them money. I mean, there were times, for example, when the Spanish, you know, founded uh, the New World and raided all the Inca silver that, you know, there was enormous inflation because there was a large supply of silver brought into the money supply in, in Western Europe. Mm. But, but in general, gold and silver did a pretty good job of holding a stable value over a period of time. And that's a big piece of what money is expected to do. I mean, if if money isn't stable, if it doesn't maintain some purchasing power or some r- stable value relative to the things that you purchase with money and you only mm-hmm. hold money because you want to buy goods and services in the future, then it's by definition bad money. It's, it's losing right. its value. And uh, gold and silver did a pretty good job of maintaining value when there was no other alternative. Gotcha. So then the... Migration to gold is money. This went hand in hand with the development of civilization. Presumably. I think so. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, there are Sumerian records from you know, two, three, four thousand BC when you know gold was used as money, and obviously the the Egyptians valued it. It was in many of the tombs, and you know, I think the first real gold coinage that I'm aware of. I guess there were cases of it in Athens and Greece as well, but the first famous gold coin was the florin, which was. Mm-hmm. You know the the coin that um, and the ducat, which became the two coins in in Renaissance Italy in 1300s, and so those became kind of universally recognized as you know, as a gold coin and having value. Huh. Um, and of course, there were many other coins that came after that, British sovereign, etc. So, uh, yeah, it, it it did go hand in hand with developing civilization, and just as trade in and of itself, you know, increased civilization. I mean, we all started off as hunter gatherers and living in tribes and just, right. you know, we had, we had ledgers back then too. You know, I killed a bison, mark it on the wall, you owe me one, <laughs> you know, the early form of Bitcoin, right? right. Uh, and then, uh, but, you know, and, and gold hadn't been discovered probably at that point in time. So, um, but over time, I think mankind figured out that, that it was a scarce, beautiful metal and therefore, you know, we, we valued it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, this idea of, stability like stability and value though i agree with you like money that's one of the purposes it's serving right is something right. to denominate trade in something to actually think in so we can right. think about trade and whatnot um but this was also used as kind of like an attack vector on money by central banking and that they that's at least part of the ostensible purpose for central banking 
controlling the money is to make it stable. Is that right? Yeah. Well, now we're jumping. We're jumping a bunch of centuries forward. But yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we've we've gone way forward. I mean, it was kind of used even as an attack vector inadvertently a little earlier when, you know, when it was demonetized, um, you know, in Britain, and that caused great pain for the Chinese and the Indians who had bet on silver versus gold. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the the British Empire adopted a gold standard, um, but yes, it it certainly. Um, as central banking arose um, and as um, credit grew through a, a sophisticated credit network where banks could fractionally reserve lend against gold deposits, mm-hmm. um, you know, money became a lot more squishy. I mean, mm-hmm. originally, you know, even, even originally when the, when the original um, gold banks and goldsmiths, you know, kind of started the trend toward fiat. I mean, I think in the early days there weren't bankers, so to speak. And, you know, you literally had to present a coin to get the goods, and that was mm-hmm. that. Um, somewhere along the line, somebody who was very smart figured out that well, we can create a gold bank, and why don't you leave your coins with me, and I promise I'll give them back to you. <laughs> and then then they'll lend out against them, and, of course, the, pretty soon they started making loans against coins they didn't have, and they mm-hmm. had a fractional reserve gold system. And so, you know, that, that in and of itself was an early birth of fiat, which, you know, went to much, much greater depths as we slowly but surely gold you know totally left the picture right yeah. 71 it left the picture altogether so, right right you know but yes uh it's um you know the central banks have definitely used fiat currency as an attack vector there's no yeah. doubt about that to to harm people and to maintain their control i mean there's a you know it, it's it's there's no coincidence that that um the system we have is incredibly unfair to the working man and that's because people at the top of the system we have have rigged it in their favor yeah you know, very clearly right you know, uh, absolutely <laughs> is it i mean is it a lack of just education about money that allows the working man to be victimized by <sighs> no because there are some working men who are you know who are um quite aware of it i mean it, you know i think it might be that um you know yes it, that's a piece of it okay but that's not all of it it's also, I mean, that's like asking if, you know, if somebody's a prisoner, you know, is it their fault that they're a prisoner? Right. Do, do you know what I mean? Right. I mean, these guys created the prism and they run the propaganda machine and they, mm-hmm. you know, they make it hard and they manipulate the price of the metals and they do all these other things that, you know, it takes quite a lot of personal strength and, and integrity to recognize how wrong it is and to fight back against it. And more and more people are. And the system, as they've constituted it, will fail. I strongly mm. believe that. Yeah. But it's um, and and Bitcoin is like the sharpest spear in the in the toolkit, right? I mean, it's fabulous. Right. And so this, their system's going to fail, but uh, it's going to take some time, and and it's going to take a certain amount of awareness, and that's really what we're fighting for right now. And I was very encouraged to hear, um, um, you know, Brian talk about 25% adoption, you know, yeah. in, in your prior yeah. interview. Yeah. I mean, if we really are at 25% Bitcoin adoption, that's fabulous. That's really a good thing. Yeah, that was a massive number. I didn't think it was that high. I either. didn't either. Yeah. I thought the numbers I'd heard previously were like sub 10%. I thought it was around 10. Yeah. yeah. They're both good numbers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, okay. We're hunters and gatherers. We start to trade. Uh, money emerges from the process of trade as the most liquid good, I think is what you said. Right. Um, we settle on gold as being that most liquid good because it exhibits certain properties that right. we seek in money. Right. But there's this process 
I think you called it betting on, right? What I typically call is a game theoretic process. So people are saying, you know, let's try this as money. Let's try that as money. Sure. And then these economic networks are competing with one another and yeah. some monies emerge victorious, others fail. Right. And through the through that iterative process over time, we like zero in on gold as the best money. I think that's right. I think that's what happened. I mean, I'm sure there were grain-based monies and, you know, mm-hmm. other, other forms of money, but, you know, I mean, cattle, et cetera. But how do you, how do you, how do you make a fractional payment? Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. and there were ledgers, I'm sure, you know, and so on and so forth. I mean, um, but, but again, for day-to-day transactions, you need pricing and you need something to trade mm-hmm. um, for those prices. I mean, obviously, you know, lots of things have been money. I mean, in, in jail, cigarettes are money, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, yeah, again, because they have certain properties, right? Like right. Scarcity, divisibility, fungibility. Exactly. So, I mean, that's a key point, I guess, is that it's trade is something that's innately human. Right. right? We trade with one another. Right. Money emerges as the most tradable thing, basically. Right. It's right. not government created nor enforced. It can be. In a natural world. In a natural world, yeah. it's not, right? Yeah. There is no government, per se. Per se. Yeah. So how did, what took us across the chasm from say something like a global, from a gold standard, right. wherever it may have emerged to um, right. central well, planning of money? Yeah, there's a lot of steps. I mean, the one, the first one was fractional reserve gold through, you know, gold lending houses and, and that whole thing. And that led to banking and fractional reserve banking. Um, but, but, you know, recognizing that um, the risks inherent in all of that, there was always a gold backing Mm-hmm. to paper. I mean, you know, the Chinese tried paper money, you know, in the fourth and fifth century, and it, it failed miserably because they printed way too much of it. So, you know, there were fiat experiments long ago. And I mean, there's a fiat experiment at the beginning of this country, in the United States. I mean, the Continental was used to finance the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. And the saying it became worthless as a Continental is very well known. And that's yeah. because they, they had hyperinflation, which is, by the way, why in 1789, when they drafted the Constitution, it said only gold and silver can be money. I mean, they right. knew the risks of hyperinflation. So, um, yeah, I mean, so what happened then is we, we kind of evolved over time, right? I mean, the, um, the U.S. started off on a gold standard, and uh, there was fractional reserve banking, and we slightly broke the gold standard with the greenback in the Civil War. We were interesting to note that, you know, we have a war. How the hell are you going to pay for it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, Lincoln introduces greenbacks and prints them to pay for the war. You know, and then they got depreciated substantially. And, and so, you know, there are, there are different clues that show you that, you know, they were having a hard time maintaining a gold standard, but they more or less did it until the Federal Reserve came along. And the Federal Reserve, and, and so what you had is an era of free banking, an era of competing currencies. And at the base of it all was gold. I mean, and even J.P. Morgan, who was the, you know, the titan financier of his day, said that, you know, gold is money, everything else is credit. And he was mm-hmm. right. But what happened is that a lot of credit got built up because the banks got bigger and bigger. And, and so, but at the base of that all was gold. You know, Exeter's Pyramid, gold was at the bottom. I mean, right. I would, today, Bitcoin would be at the bottom. But, um, you know, what you're, what you're looking at is over time, that all began to slip. And so in 1913, they created the Central Bank, which was really a cartel for the banks, mm-hmm. you know, to protect them and uh, um, protect the lender of last resort. And... You know, their charter was just to, to prevent bank panics, and there had been many throughout the 1800s. As you might imagine, people would mismanage a bank. They'd get out over their skis. The bank would fail, and there'd be, you know, there'd be a very sharp 
business contraction, but generally it was quite quick and it would resolve itself and things would go on. I mean, mm. you look at the period of time from 1789 to 1913, I mean, that's probably the largest period of average growth in human standards in the history of the world. I mean, mm-hmm. people, you know, in the in the early 1700s, 1800s, we were agrarian dirt farmers. Yeah. And by 1913, we had a modern, semi-modern industrialized economy and everyone's right. lifestyle had gone up enormously during that right. time frame. Yeah. You know, and so... And we were on the gold standard the entire time. We didn't need a central bank. Yeah. You know, we didn't need fiat money. The money was backed by gold. The banks were, you know, sometimes not credit worthy. That was the fractional reserve problem. But, yeah. um, you know, they, they, they set out and they established the Federal Reserve in 1913. And then, and then two years into it, you know, and they said they were only going to back against good credit for short periods of time at very high rates. And within three years, they broke that rule. <laughs> and they printed money to finance World War I. Hmm. And so and then they had a depression, a brief depression in 1920, and they didn't like that. And so they printed more money and they created the 1929 bubble. Mm-hmm. And of course, they, you know, that blew up because it was yeah. really egregious. Um, people were able to borrow 90% of the value of a stock. And, and so they were kiting stocks to the moon. And when that blew up, we had the Great Depression. And unfortunately, the status in our world interpreted the Great Depression in a manner that was favorable to them and gave them more power. Of course. They said it was the gold standard that caused course, it. Yeah. When in fact, what caused the Great Depression was the Federal Reserve and the excess credit that it allowed and encouraged to build post-World War I and during the 20s. Mm. And so if we, you know, no boom, no bust, um, we had an enormous boom. And so, it, as you might expect, we, have an, we had an enormous bust. Yeah. And they said, oh, that's the gold standard. And of course, they grabbed the gold. They revalued the gold downward 70%. And, um, and it was a very long time recovering. And in fact, we had to really enter a war and slaughter 50 million people to recover. And, and you know, the war was financed by money printing and financial repression. So the whole, the whole money printing thing is just a morally evil thing. I mean, it's, you know, the Bible says this, the Constitution says this. I mean, if you have control of the monetary medium, you know, you, you, can, you can control the populace. You can make yourself rich. I mean, Baron von Rothschild said it, you know, famously. He said, you know, give me control of the money. I don't care who makes the laws. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and that's what happened. I mean, we let a bunch of greedy bankers get control of our monetary system, and they've never, we've never gotten it back from them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, therefore, you know, average people make today what they made in 1971, and yet everything costs multiples more. Yeah, you know, and they've just they've squeezed the lower class, and they've created contillionaires of the people at the top who are just insanely rich, you know, um, as a result of being able to shuffle paper. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty bad. It's yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it really is, pretty bad, really as you bad. know. Yeah, <laughs> as we all know, and that's why we're here, and that's why we're fighting it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I love the way you put that as like just shuffling papers. You're not; they're getting rich through confiscation ultimately, right? right? It's, 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 they're taking 10% of everybody else's wealth every year. Yeah. It goes in their pocket. I mean, think about, I mean, here's what I like to think. Think about all the productivity improvements we've had in the last 20, 30 years, the PC. I mean, just all the, mm-hmm. the world has gotten so much more efficient. We can right. communicate with each other. We can, yeah. I mean, the, just, just the spreadsheet. I mean, we, mm-hmm. you know, we keep track of things. Yeah. It's fabulous. I mean, what the PC and the PC, you know, the, the internet, what the, what the microprocessor revolution has done to the world is stunning. Yes. We all should be working 20 hours a week and be rich. Right. But in fact, what's happened is we're not. We're all working harder. Yeah. And it's because all the wealth has been skimmed off at the top. Right. Right? Exactly that, right. That's how, you know, Jeff Bezos is worth $80 billion. You know, yeah. or Steve Ballmer is worth $80 billion. Yeah. Or, you know, Jamie Dimon is a billionaire for basically being a banker. Yeah. You know? I mean, it just, 
it's because the, the, the distribution of the productivity gains has not been in anything close to being equal. Right. I mean, the seventies, a CEO would make five, 25 times what their average employee made. Now the, you know, the average CEO makes 500 times what their average employee makes. It's ridiculous. I agree. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just upside down. And that's the proper way to frame it. I often say that inflation is used to harvest the economic surplus. Yes. Right. And so, and be, because it's a debt-based structure, like you have to have inflation of the money supply to erode the debt. Right. Well, that's the thing. But that only works so long as there's real productivity growth. And we've had a lot of that, the globalization, digitization. Right. But that comes to an end at some point, right? It's the parasite uh, aggressing against the host. A little bit. I mean, you know, I'm not sure exactly totally where you're going there, but a little bit of it is that, you know, look, we've got... And this is one of the great flaws in Keynesianism, in my view. We've got a, a planet with a fixed amount of resources, mm. fixed size. Now, we can get more efficient at using those resources, but you know, we're not, we don't get another planet. This is mm. it, right? <laughs> yeah. And we're destroying it in some ways. Um, the Keynesian notion that growth at any cost is always a good thing, it's just an incredibly broken and flawed notion. I mean, yeah. and Jeff Booth is the best at pointing this out in his book. I mean, we don't need top-line growth. We don't need higher prices. We don't need unquote more of everything what we need is more for less mm -hmm. which is what deflation is yeah and so the keynesian model was built on an inflationary concentrate all the power in a central authority you know just like we did in world war ii we had the central authority that was really good at killing 50 million people right right we need to decentralize because i don't think there's anybody in the world that really wants to go kill a bunch of other people right 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 i mean and yet We've still got central authorities playing these games where people are dying as a result of wars yeah. that shouldn't be fought. And, you know, they're being fought because of the fake money. So let me ask you this. This is something I think about a lot is, is it avoidable? Say, let's just hypothetically say that we live in the United States and everyone here is a libertarian and we love the gold standard and we don't want to abandon it at any cost. But then say there's some belligerent nation, uh, whoever, and they choose to take the opposite tact. They just want to print as much money as necessary to go to war. Is there a game theory then that sort of forces the hand of us as the libertarian nation? Like if they're printing money to fund war, right. their balance sheet or their war chest is necessarily much larger than ours. So it's like we either print money or we lose to them in combat. Is that accurate? That's a, that's a great question. I mean, I guess... It, it in part depends upon what kind of resources they have and who's financing the printing. Yeah. I mean, they can print money, but you know, I mean, in what you're, where we're going with this is reserve currency status, but yeah. they can print money, but if, if they need anything from the outside world, that money's not gonna have any value if they're printing too much of it. Right, right. Unless they are the, the, the worldwide reserve currency. Yeah. So um, I don't really worry too much about that thing. I, I, I will say, I think it is naive to think that we can go to a situation where we can't have some sort of defensive measures uh -huh. and we can't be watching the world carefully to make sure that nobody is, you know, as an example, acquiring nuclear weapons. I mean, I think we should go to a total nuclear non-proliferation and really, you know, it should be kind of a war against, you know, a crime against humanity for developing any nuclear weapons on a go-forward mm -hmm. basis. Right. And we should try and figure out a way for the world to police that. But... I mean, this is all, you know, several steps down the road once this fiat system is blown up uh -huh. and we're a bunch of smaller nations where, you know, nobody's trying to take over anybody else. I mean, yeah. So the reason I ask that question is because if that is the case, 
then you almost become like the the craziest neighbor almost sets the standard for everyone else, right? If they're willing to print money and go to war, yeah. then you almost force the hand of other nations to do the same, otherwise be defeated. And so like, I, because a lot of the different ways I've come at this intellectually, looking at history of money and whatnot, it's like we really need Bitcoin as a species to stop repeating this pattern of blowing each other up every few generations. Yeah, I I completely agree with that statement. Um, I mean, take North Korea as an example. I mean, will there be rogue countries? You know, very possibly. Mm -hmm. But, you know, how are they going to fare? Right. I mean, you know, it really, the only way that a rogue country, I think, can mess up the world is if they have a nuke. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. I think otherwise, that form of organization just isn't going to work. Right. And isn't going to be much of a military threat to even a normal a normally armed country. But it's an interesting question, the game theory of if you have one crazy who is printing money, how does the rest of the world deal with that? Yeah. I mean, you know, we're so far away from that right now because the whole world is printing money. Right. I know, I know. <laughs> but I, but it's, a, it's something I hadn't really pondered much, and I, I, I should think more about it because it is an interesting question. What if somebody takes the other side of the bat? Do you think yeah. those things go hand in hand then, the printing of money and this manifestation of what I call mass psychosis, yes. I think? Yes. All the things here, right? Like gender fluidity, yep. uh, the idea of imposing your opinions on others, uh, the, the, the religious-like reverence for certain political people yeah. in political power, yeah. or you know, people were worshiping Fauci for a while here in the U.S., yeah. Yeah. The idea of mandates, like we just go, yeah. we go so off I, the rails. I generally speak try to avoid a lot of political stuff just because I, I, you know, I love humanity and I don't want anyone on any side to hate me for, yeah. for my politics. But I will say this: I, I think that, I think that statism, the the general yes. theme of statism, is a very dangerous theme. To, yeah. to you know, I, I'm very much a libertarian. I'm very much a Christian. I very much believe in individual responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of people in the world, sadly, who who would rather delegate their agency to some state that yeah. makes them feel good, and they never really know exactly what that state is all about. Mm-hmm. And that state can commit enormous evil in their name. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't think they would knowingly support that, but they, they get sucked into it. And so all of these different issues, to me, come out of reverence for the state and, and not thinking like an individual. Right. I mean, I, I have a personal trainer who I, li- who I lift weights with, and he says, you know, war is the sex organ of the state. Yeah, I mean, the right. state loves, and, and keeping you afraid, fighting amongst yourself and saying red-blue and yeah. saying vaccine, all this stuff to me is to keep us distracted from the real issue, which is that the top 10% is trying to control our lives and rob us blind. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. that's to me, that's the issue. Right. And they need to go down. I mean, if we want to stop slaughtering three million rice you know, farmers in Vietnam, which we did mm-hmm. because Henry Kissinger had a domino theory. Mm-hmm. OK, if we want to stop, you know, these kinds of wars that we do, if we want to stop going into Iraq, you know, on a false pretense and creating an aggressive war that was a crime under the Nuremberg standards, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, you know, it's 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 interesting to me to hear, you know, so many in the American political sphere you know, call Putin a war criminal. And, you know, perhaps he is. I mean, he is. Okay, Mm -hmm. fine. But if that's the case, you know, maybe we should examine some of our own behavior looking backwards. And so, you know, to me, 
what's going on here that's criminal is is this worship of the state mm-hmm. and this belief that the state is all powerful and it's you know it's it's um, it's a useful entity. I don't yeah. think we need it. I think we can decentralize. I mean, we reached to me. I, there was a great quote on Twitter today. Somebody said we we reached a peak blow off point in centralization in yeah. mass centralization. I think that's true. Right. It's failing at every single level. Yeah. The money's failing, the politics are failing, you know, the war stuff is failing. Yeah. I mean, you name it, you know, the, the commodities, you know, the prices are failing, the inflation is a big deal. It's all failing. Yeah. And to me, bring it on. I yeah. mean, it's sad to watch. I, I, I feel terrible for people who are gonna experience pain, but I also believe that's the only way we can get to the other side. We've got to get to the other side, which is an honest monetary system that's deflationary. I mean, systems, you know, economic systems provide outcomes for all the people who participate in them. And for, for that to happen, you need to have fair pricing, you need to have fair interest rates, you need to have a system that's based on fairness. Mm-hmm. And when you have that, everyone works in a way that's coordinated that makes all of our lives better. Yep. And when you send fake signals, you make malinvestments and you do the wrong stuff. And so people are getting poorer, people are paying more for their food, people are hurting. I see it. I see it in interactions I've had just around the United States. You know, I can just tell people are hurting. They lash out at each other. Mm-hmm. And and that's all occurring because this money is broken. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, break the money, mess up the incentives, mess up the interest rates, you know, have the whole damn thing be broken. And guess what? We are all going to get poorer. Yeah. I mean, I'm fortunate to have lived in a generation where I'm living as well or better than my grandparents did. But if we don't change this, my grandkids aren't going to have that same experience. It's right. going to be substantially different for them because they are going to get relatively poor because we've misallocated the seed corn that we've got. We're eating it, right. we're wasting it, we're doing stupid stuff with it. Yeah. And, and that the only way to change that is to fix the monetary system. I mean, you know, and I, I didn't coin this, I just saw it and I, I adopted it. I mean, I, I truly, and I know you believe this too, fix the money, fix the world, yeah. right? That's what we gotta do. Yeah. It's obvious. No, it's it's a it's brilliantly said and I, your friend said it one way. I heard Rothbard say that war is health of the state. Yes, same idea. Yeah, so it's like, I mean, that is the business model, actually. And yeah. from I, I mentioned this yesterday, John 1010. Yeah. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I find it interesting that more people, specifically Christians, don't look at government um, with an objective eye. And it's like, right. okay, what is this business engaged in? Right. It's killing. Right. It's stealing. And it's destroying. That's yeah. literally all it does. It doesn't right. do anything else. Well, it it's it's transferring value. It also, tra- yeah, yeah that, and that's destroying. That's fair enough. But you know, they transfer value, right? They take money out of one pocket and put it into another. Yeah, stealing, yeah. right? Stealing. Yeah, yeah. I guess so that's a good point. Yeah. Ta- uh, and I'm Rothbardian in my views here that taxation yeah. and inflation is all just theft. It yep. doesn't do anything else. That's right. It's just an uh, involuntary right. exchange of value. Yeah. And so... there's something here that I keep trying to get on. It's like the, almost like the technological realities that we inhabit determine our psychological realities. Yes. And this is where I'm like back to the indispensability of Bitcoin. It's like, if we don't have a form of property that's independent of the state, that the state cannot violate or inflate, then we're going to be stuck in this cycle of state worship or nationalism or whatever you want to call it. Right. Where we always are blaming Putin or this guy or this guy Absolutely. or that guy. Absolutely. When in reality, it's we have, we've poured ourselves into a deceptive system. 
It's yeah. self-destructive from a human perspective. Yes, absolutely. That's absolutely right. I mean, the fact that the system exists outside of any human being's desire and is mathematically based is just the, the beauty yeah. and the incredible importance of this innovation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, when you combine it with the internet and the fact that the narratives are crumbling because everyone can find the truth or more of the truth on the internet, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I love the way and, you know, whether people love them or hate them, you know, I love the fact that Joe Rogan is giving the mainstream media a real run for their money yeah, because he's listening to other points of view. Yeah. And so are lots of people in this country and they see it and they're like, this is, you know, what, what, what we are doing is wrong. I mean, what I find sad is when the blue guy's angry at the red guy and saying, you know, yeah. what you're doing is wrong. And when the red guy's, no, you're both wrong. Right. <laughs> you know? right. You're all wrong. You gotta, yeah. you know, you gotta, you gotta jump above that level. Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> you got to jump above that level. Don't let them suck you into, you know, the the day to day over right. you know some little thing. Jump above it and say you both are wrong. This whole system is broken, and we need to fix the system. Right? Yeah, and I'm with you on like, I tend to take an apolitical tact on most things. I actually right. think the left versus right is kind of a false dichotomy. Totally. What we what's totally what's real in the real world is real individuals. Yes against collective yeah, it's, it's useful fictions. I mean, they're, trying to, they're trying to get us to fight with each other. Right. Yeah, no, that's right. And so is that then, is there a psychosis then? Okay, the theory I've been working with is if property can be violated, right. or let's say to the extent which property can be violated, yeah. we are more likely to be embroiled in this mass psychosis of politics. Yes. But to the extent property cannot be violated, it's like, what's the point in comparing our opinions? Like, I'm just going to go over here with my things. You go over there with your things. There's nothing to fight about. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, yes, because a lot of politics ultimately does come down to the money. And, you know, if, if, if the government is sugar daddy and handing out stuff, you know, in an unfair way, everybody's going to argue like crazy about how it gets handed out. Right. And, you know, if, if, if they're not handing out stuff, if the money is inviolable, yeah. you know, if, if the record is immutable, yeah. then, you know, what are they going to do? Right. There's yeah. nothing to hand out. There's nothing to hand out. So there's that's nothing to fight about. There's nothing to fight about. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, there will be things to fight about. But, of course, but yeah. But they won't, I don't think they'll be nearly, the fights won't be nearly as contentious as they are right now. And then people won't have such an emphasis on their, the political aspects of their identity at both the individual and group level. Well, right? I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it'll be very scary for some people, though, because, you know, they, some people want to turn themselves over to some larger, greater collective. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they want to believe a narrative. They want to be led to greatness. They want, you know, they, they have fantasies. I mean, we're all susceptible to mass psychosis. Mm-hmm. We're all susceptible to mm-hmm. fantasies. And, um, you know, I mean, the German people were a very, very civilized people. Uh-huh. You know, they, they were, you know, among the most civilized in the world. And yet they all adopted a mass psychosis in the 30s that, you know, led to the slaughter of six million Jews and, and a world war that slaughtered many more people. Uh-huh. You know, and, and so, you know, it's a, it's a very slippery slope and a very dangerous issue, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I talked to Malone about this actually a little bit, the, the mass psychosis. And one of the things he said was, just having talked about it, like giving people the, the lexicon or term to refer to this yeah. phenomenon that we're all susceptible to yeah. was very empowering, right? Yes. To just be able to step outside of it and be like, okay, I, 
this is something that can happen to me. Oh yeah. Um, it just gives you the tool to deal with it more. Well, yeah. I mean, William Mackay wrote a book back in the 1800s, you know, um, um, popular, popular delusions and the madness of crowds. Right. And yeah. it, it chronicled the, you know, the Dutch tulip thing. It chronicled, um, uh, the French, uh, uh, John Law episode. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, what do they say? You know, um, uh, men, men go, go mad in crowds and collectively, right. And they regain their senses one by one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when reality comes, comes roaring back and I, I think we're in the regaining our senses piece right now. And it's because to me, it's very, very obvious that fiat is failing. Yes. I mean, I have, I have, very little doubt in this and I'm willing I've, I've really stuck my neck out because I could look like a total idiot and I could be completely wrong but I sincerely believe that we have a hyperinflationary future coming at some point you know outside you know 18 years and that's just because I'm saying that there's some fourth turnings that have lasted 30 years and I think mm-hmm. this one started in 2018 mm-hmm. but I think more likely within 10 years that, yeah because this monetary system is designed to fail it has to fail right and you know, there's just a few more steps left before it does, and the, and things are happening more quickly. Now, okay, so let's. I'll go there. <laughs> let, let's point on that because I I actually agree with you. I have a public prediction that the U.S. dollar is hyperinflated by 2035. I, I agree with that, and it's based on some other right. rates of hyperinflation historically, just kind of layered together. It, it's a it's a estimate, so who knows? But here's what I want to ask about is. Well, first of all, I assume you would agree that fiat currency inflation is a violation of private property. Absolutely. Okay. It's theft. So if the psychosis is related to the rate at which we're violating private property, should we expect the mass psychosis to escalate as we print more fiat going into that hyperinflation? Absolutely. So things are going to get darker before. Sadly, I think, sadly, I think they will. Sadly, I think they will. I mean, things are already pretty dark. I mean, it's, you know, you and I have food on the table, right? right. Um, you know, your lower middle income and your gasoline's now six bucks. Your food's more expensive. Yeah. You know, your wages are going up at 5% a year. You know, you're scared. You know, yeah. your medical care is totally out of control. I mean, you're scared and you should be. And I, and I, it's tragic. It's yeah. absolutely tragic. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's ridiculous, honestly, because even if you're rich, right? whatever, top 1%, 0.1%, whatever, if you destroy, if the market self-destructs in a hyperinflation, everyone's suffering. Well, that's that's right? the point. I mean, you know, so you're, so you're worth $80 billion, yeah. but, you know, all your employees hate you because you won't let them go to the bathroom, mm-hmm. you know, during their work shift. I mean, really? <laughs> you know, I mean, really, Jeff? I mean, is that really how you want to run your company? I mean, I just, you know, it's stunning to me. You know, it's, um, you know, it, it, uh, don't get me started. <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> some of the elites, the behavior of some of the elites. I mean, it. You know, these. I mean, the. You know, the, um, the nobility in France in seventeen eighty nine. You know, had nothing on these folks. You know. Yeah. So. Mm, okay. Maybe we'll just take a couple steps back. <laughs> Things are pretty bleak. Looks like they might get bleaker. Where should we be? Like through the lens of libertarian philosophy, which I guess Bitcoin is almost like a forcing function for that. Absolutely. It's like yeah. Austrian economics was kind of this philosophical debate with right. Keynesian economics. 
but Bitcoin now makes it like a market test kind of thing. Yes. How will how do you think the world could look um, in a libertarian Bitcoin friendly world? Oh, it could be. Do you think we? I assume. I mean, obviously, we who knows, but in the ashes of this hyperinflation that you and I anticipate, something like Bitcoin should also rise. Of so there's a, there's a very bright future beyond this middle ground that right. we don't know is very uncertain. How do you consider that? Think about that. Explain that. So I think the I think you know your generation, the Jack Mollers, the Marty Bents of the world, are going to you know be the hero generation that fixes this broken world and. Mm. Um, you know, I, I've, I've studied a lot of hyperinflations and they're horrible, right? They're horrible mm -hmm. for wealth holders, particularly. They're, they're actually somewhat less horrible for somebody in the middle of their career who has a good skill. Right. I mean, you know, you're a plumber, yeah. you know, you have a house, you have a mortgage, you don't have a ton of savings, currency gets wiped out. Well, guess what? People still need to have their toilets fixed. Right. You know, right. Right. everything reprices, you still got your house, you didn't yeah. lose it. You know, life goes on. Yeah. You know, and and in in the history of hyperinflations, when you return to sound money, things reorganize pretty quickly. Yeah. Who loses? Bondholders. Who? Yeah. You know, the mega rich they lose a lot. Yeah. You know, and and perhaps they should. Yeah. I mean, they've they've created a lot of fiat at the expense of a lot of other people, and if they haven't been wise enough to put it in things that are sound money, they're going to lose it. Yeah. And so be it. Um, you know, I think we have a new political system that is much more libertarian, much more smaller, much more local. You know, I think everyone is very, very terribly angry about what happened to them. I, I wouldn't want to be a politician. Mm -hmm. I mean, history is not going to be kind to any of these people. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are going to be the people who destroyed the old system. They're going to try and have a narrative that, you know, defends themselves, but everyone's going to see it. Mm -hmm. Everyone's going to see it. And, um, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to have term limits. We're going to, you know, I, I hope the United States holds together, but it might not. Yeah. It might become more regional or more state-based. Um, but I, you know, I think what needs to happen is that people need to go back to the original concept of what a government should be. And my belief, and I think the libertarian belief, is that a government really just needs to be a fair referee in a game. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that everyone more or less, you know, prevent, I mean, obviously prevent the, the known crime, prevent murder, prevent theft, mm -hmm. prevent, you know, all the obvious things. I mean, just the Ten Commandments, yeah. have a system of courts and, you know, police officers that, you know, keep the game fair. And other than that, stay out of the way. You know, maybe to the degree there are foreign threats, maybe there needs to be some form of military, but you know, I think appropriately, I think maybe in 50 or 100 years, that could all be dialed down too. Yeah. You know, where you get every country, I mean, there could be broad agreement that nuclear weapons don't serve anybody in, in the human race. Right. And so those could be abolished. Um, you could have a case where, you know, you, you have a very, very peaceful world. Um, I, I see that. I, I think that will happen. I'm not sure it'll happen in my lifetime. I'm pretty sure most of that will happen in your lifetime. Yeah. Um, because we reached peak centralization. You know, we got really good. I mean, I always like to look at it. It started with Henry Ford in the, in the assembly line, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, pre that, we were a bunch of farmers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And, and what they figured, the Industrial Revolution kind of showed us that, you know, you put a bunch of people together and you organize them in a particular fashion, and you can get a lot of output by dividing things up. And I mean, it's unbelievable. The division of labor. The division of labor. Yeah. It's pretty amazing what happened. Yeah. And we just kept pushing that as hard and hard. And, you know, sure enough, first First World War came along and they thought, oh, it'll be horse charges. Well, no, it turns out you can kill a lot of people with machinery too. And you got yeah. 
so forth. And then Second World War came along, and holy crap, we can really kill a lot of people. Yeah. You know, when we're big organizations, a nuclear bomb proves, guess what? We can even destroy the entire planet. Yeah. You know, well, okay. You know, I think humankind generally is probably coming to the conclusion, that's not a good idea. Right, <laughs> you know, right, we, right. We need to back away from that and go in the other direction. And the beautiful thing is, there are two parts to this revolution, as I see it. I think, I think the, two, the two biggest innovations in the last 25 years, in my view, are, well, three. The microchip, which created all the technology. Yeah. The internet, which took away the, the, you know, the, the narrative function from the New York Times and yep. allowed everybody yep. right, to right, get right, information. Right. Yep. And now Bitcoin, which has basically taken away the monetary function from government. Yeah. I think those three things are going to vastly improve the world. And I think these big corrupt organizations, they're just all going to fail. Right. And it's going to happen. It, you say 35. I think that's the outside time frame. I think in the late 2020s, like 27, 26, 27, yeah. 28. And I think people are going to be surprised by it because think of how one day the Soviet Union and you know Eastern Germany were, were just this big, powerful, monolithic right. thing that we were terrified of, right? Yeah. The next day, poof, gone. they're gone. Yeah. I mean, the U.S. federal emperor has got no clothes. Right? I mean, I can see it. You can see it. Russia's calling them on it. Uh -huh. Other people can see it. What happens when everybody just kind of decides, you know, there are 90 of us for every 10 of you that are living in the government system. Mm -hmm. We're not going to play anymore. Right. We're just not going to play. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliantly said. You, you're bringing up some points here I want to double click on. So, peak centralization. And now, presumably, the pendulum is going the other direction right. towards decentralization. Right. Um, I talk a lot on this show about the sovereign individual thesis. Yep. I don't know if you... you yep, I've, I've listened to it. Yeah, I know. And I'm, I'm very much in with being a sovereign individual. Yeah. Do you prescribe to the idea that the very organizational model of the nation state itself could be, I, I don't, either dissolved or dramatically reformed as a result of this technological revolution? At a minimum, dramatically reformed. Yeah. At a minimum. And, and yes, perhaps potentially resolved, dissolved. Yeah. I mean, you know, borderless, et cetera. I, yeah. So much tradition and so much history. I think, I think it's going to be in steps, yeah. right? I don't think we're going to go to that, not in my lifetime. Yeah. But, but diminished, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, we're on the downswing. Yeah. You know, and, uh, um, you know and, and what I think will be very interesting to see is the way that certain nations adopt you know, certain nations are going to look forward and certain nations are going to look backward. Yeah. And the, the looking forward nations are going to just kick ass. Right. You know? Yeah. And it's going to become very apparent to everybody else that they're doing it. Yeah. And they're going to, you know, they're going to have to move in that direction or be left behind. That's the game theory, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the the migration, right? Talent, right. capital, and all that all goes that. to where they're treated all best. All that. The talent's, the, the capital's going to go where it's treated best. The yeah. talent's going to go where it's treated best. Yeah. You know, and and people are going to just demand it. Yes. You know, that's the thing. I mean, you know, I mean, part of what you got going on now is my generation, the boomers are kind of hanging on to the privilege they've got. Right. But they're going to pass. And, you know, um, you know, your generation is much more collect. I mean, the boomers are very selfish as a general rule. And your generation is much more concerned with the common good, not in a not in a, co in a communistic sort right. of way, but just in a we've got to create something that works for everybody sort of way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's going to become a much more prevalent thought pattern, you know. Now I'd like to tell you about a great new Bitcoin show on the scene that you've got to check out. Brought to you by Swan Studios and Bitcoin Magazine, this show is Hard Money with Natalie Brunel. 
Natalie is an Emmy-nominated journalist bringing unparalleled experience to the Bitcoin media scene. And personally, Natalie is one of my favorite voices in the Bitcoin space. Each week on Hard Money, you'll get the top headlines of the week with analysis you won't find anywhere else. Hard-hitting interviews with amazing guests like myself and other top minds in the Bitcoin space. And the show will take you directly into the lives being changed by Bitcoin all over the world. Check out Hard Money at swan.com backslash hard money. Today, I want to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. So how does health insurance work? You send an egregious amount of money to an insurance company. They hold it in a pool of depreciating fiat currency. Then when you have a large health event, you have to pay them even more via your deductible. And then you hope they will cover your bill. And in fact, one in six bills are denied by healthcare.gov plans. It's time to take control of your own healthcare bills. I'd like to introduce you to CrowdHealth. It's a decentralization of healthcare using Bitcoin as an alternative to health insurance. Instead of sending fiat currency to a big corporation, you send that money to an account controlled by you, a portion of which is converted into Bitcoin. Then if you have a big health event, you have a community of Bitcoiners that will use the money in their accounts to help you out. To get more details, go to joincrowdhealth.com backslash breedlove, where you can find the promo code for $99 a month for six months. I wonder, I'm clearly very libertarian, obviously, in a lot of this, but where I'm struggling now is like, what is the actual role of government? I mean, I heard you say earlier, you think we can have like a non-state society. Yeah. That's very radical for a lot of people to accept yeah. or believe in that vision. Uh, even myself, I'm like, well, you know, maybe we do we go away from large states to very small micro states, right. which is kind of that sovereign individual thesis. And I, I, the only role I see for government is the preservation of physical property rights, right? Like their local security. And now I, you said earlier, person and property, and I put person yeah. and property under one rubric here. I had a guy here yesterday, we were talking about the Christian aspects of this, and he kept referring to Romans and how it describes the role of government, I think as uh, the punisher of evildoers, something like that. I, I could be wrong about that. Yeah. But how, what is the proper role of government the, the, in this the, the libertarian world, The future? word I used before was, was a fair referee. I mean, look, I wouldn't, you know, there will always be psychopaths within the human population, mm -hmm. right? Right. I would like to have a police force to track down and prevent us from getting slaughtered by psychopaths. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I there there's clearly to me a role for a you know for governments. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure they need to be big and national mm -hmm. and say, you know, we speak one way, you speak a different way, we're gonna threaten you. Right. But um I, I'm not sure I'd want to live in a society without police officers. Yeah. Without courts right. without jails. I mean I think I don't think the human you know, condition is broadly evolved to a state where that would be a sensible thing for any of us. You think to do. all those are exclusively the purview of government? I do for now. I mean, yeah. maybe that's just the traditional thinking, and that's because it's what I've grown up with. Yeah. I mean, perhaps that's wrong. Perhaps that could all be done privately. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't dispute that's a possibility, but I do. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I, I, you know, yes, I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I mean, consider a small society. 
I mean, don't you think most of the people in the society would say, look, let's create some laws that say, you know, you're not allowed to kill people, you're not allowed yeah. to steal from people, and let's, you know, have a court system and, a, you know, a police force that enforces those laws. Yeah. I think, I think, I see that as being a very important role of government, but it stops there. I mean, it doesn't go much beyond that. Mm -hmm. You know, it certainly doesn't get into foreign aid and, you know, killing people in rice paddies and, you know, a lot of the other things that these yeah. governments have done. Yeah, right. no, I, I agree with that for sure. Well, I'd like to learn a little bit more. I wouldn't go there. Maybe about the Christian morality aspects, sure. and then we can start going into. It's pretty simple. It's just. I just, I'm just interested to learn about where, where, you, where yeah, you're coming from. Is, it's just, you know, thou shalt not steal and honest weights and measures, right? Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> both in the Bible. It's pretty clear. <laughs> you know, you start you start diluting the beer and charging yeah. the same amount for it, you know. <laughs> I never heard that's, it put like that. That's theft. Diluting the beer. <laughs> that's what they did. <laughs> or the wine. You know, you start pouring water in the yeah, wine. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. I mean, it's, this, this isn't hard. It's... Um, and they've been diluting it for a long time, and it's and the dilution's getting worse and worse. You know? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, the number I like to throw out. I mean, people say, and Bitcoin people, I, I love this fact. Okay, so Bitcoin people say, well, Bitcoin's going to come along; it's going to take away all the gold's monetary premium. Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, guys, there ain't nothing left to take. It costs <laughs> it costs twelve hundred bucks to mine an ounce of gold. You got to have capex, and you got to find new gold. We're selling it for eighteen hundred, so we got six hundred of profit. Right. That's not a lot of monetary premium. Right. When we were on a gold standard back in seventy one, earlier than seventy one, because we'd run up some debts from them, but you could take the amount of gold the U.S. theoretically has, divide it by the dollars outstanding, and you'd come up with the thirty five dollars the standard was based on. Right. You did the same math today. Gold should be at seventy eight thousand dollars an ounce. Right. Gold's at eighteen hundred dollars an ounce. So that's a monetary premium. Let's <laughs> tap on that. So. Yeah. Is that coordinated gold price suppression in yes. your estimation? Okay. Yes. Via yes. the London yes. gold pool? That and a lot, a lot more than that. I mean, they, they've basically just psychologically demonetized gold. Right. It's I pretty mean, incredible, actually. It's been incredible. Yeah. They've printed so much money and gotten away with it. Yeah. All because of, you know, Summers and Barsky and Gibson's, Gibson's paradox in the paper and then what the LBMA did in the fractional reserve gold and all the gold derivatives. I mean, People don't understand how many derivatives there are out there surrounding the gold market and yeah. how they've used those to suppress the price. And actually, a lot of people also don't understand how that same thing could ultimately be done to Bitcoin. It has not been done yet, right. because if you go to Glassnode and you look at the amount of Bitcoin futures outstanding, it's trivial compared to the amount that trades. And mm -hmm. so they haven't done it yet, but it doesn't mean it's not possible. Right. And so in my view, part of the monetary reform we need is going to be to outlaw derivatives and right. just broadly because you know i mean futures were originally invented so that farmers you know producers and users of, of commodities could hedge the risk of the price going up or down right. um they've been massively abused yes. just massively yeah. abused to, to manipulate the prices so it's funny you bring this up my first guest today sullivan was saying the same thing yeah like we need to get rid of synthetics as he calls oh, them absolutely but he's also a seriously libertarian guy. So my question to him is like, how do you reconcile that with your libertarian principles? Do we need a ban on this or is it just hard money would kind of resolve this over time? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think hard money might naturally resolve it because nobody would give cr the credit necessary to let those right. things exist yeah. if the money were really hard. Especially when self-custody is cheap and easy. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, just to be sure... 
I could make an argument that, you know, um, we should outlaw that kind of behavior because that really is fraud too, mm-hmm. in the sense that you're selling something you, you don't have. And it, right. it goes back to an argument I've made in a couple other podcasts about the, the notion of table stakes poker, which is, you know, it, it doesn't actually translate perfectly to this, but in a game of table stakes poker, the biggest balance sheet can shove the price around because right. you can bluff. Yeah, yeah, right. right. And that's kind of yeah, what's spoofing going on. and all that. Yeah, and that's what's been going on. Yeah. You know, I mean, and then in witness, like the LME, the nickel blow up in the LME, you know, that's a perfect example of how they got called on the bluff and, of course, yeah. the powers that be changed the rules. Right. Right. He talked about that too. Yeah. 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 So. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, they did it to me in 2008, you know, and the, they outlawed the banning of the selling, short selling of financials. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, look, the fiat people, have a set of principles that they use to keep the fiat system going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in the gold space, yeah, you know, the derivatives have suppressed the gold price massively. Yes. Massively. So here's, you might appreciate this. Um, uh, The name of the guy that said it escapes me at the moment, but the quote is, sovereign is he who decides the exception. Yes. And that is the essence of this whole fiat construct yes. is that there are no constant rules. Yes. There are rules for thee, none for me exactly. type of thing. Two sets of rules. And there, there's no, there's so much mutability in the rules. They're yes. constantly changing. Yes. And that if you can ever get on the side of the trade that you control the rules, that's equivalent to the power to win in perpetuity. You, you, that's right. You if win. I can make the rules, I can win the game every time that's, we play. That is exactly what's going so on. So what you need to do, this is what gold basically was, right? It was rules nobody could change. That's why it was desirable as money. Yes. And that's what Bitcoin is, right? The yes. game that is totally immutable, that's, fixed rules. That's, that's exactly what is going on. Yeah. And, you know, and the people who run the fiat system in the world today that's why they're so upset by what Putin just did. Right. You know, um, I mean, obviously they're upset for the illegal war and the killing of, of people, but but I think at their soul and deep down, they're really more upset because what Putin has done is he said, you know, our commodities, your problem. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah, you can do this paper thing all you want, guys, but guess what? We own it, the underlying. Yeah, we got the underlying. <laughs> yeah. We got the physical. <laughs> Unless you're willing to buy rubles or sell, sell us gold, or send us gold, you ain't getting the gas, Germany. You're going to freeze. Yeah. Right. Wow. And, and I mean, it, it's just, it's an amazing, it's, 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 I mean, I have to say what occurred in the last month to me in the world I'm in is, is just like an, it's an, it's an earthquake. Can it's, you unpack this? Cause I, sure. I don't know a ton about it. And I'm sure the audience. Yeah. Is so I'd be happy to. So, uh, really quick history. Okay. Um, uh, gold standard until, um, Arguably 1944, credit got in there in 1913 with the Federal Reserve, but let's Mm -hmm. say gold standard until 44, okay? Uh, Bretton Woods uh, conference, post the end of World War II, we gotta have a new monetary order. How are we gonna set this thing up? Okay, Um, all right, let's make the dollar world's reserve currency. Let's fix other currencies to the dollar. Let's let's tie the dollar to gold. U.S. won the war, had the biggest military, was a net, you know, we had the only industrial base, Germany and Japan were on their knees. And you know we're gonna we've got X amount of ounces of gold. We got Y amount of dollars. I saying mm-hmm. divide the two is thirty five bucks. Boom. So you got a sound money system in theory. Right. Okay, nineteen forty five. Bretton Woods won. Okay, um, worked fine for a while, and then what happened is U.S. started to abuse the privilege. Mm-hmm. Okay, of course. And fifty three uh, was the first time. I mean, from I was saying earlier, from forty five to 
late 50s, we, we ran surplus as often as we ran deficits, and the deficits were small. But big one in 53 for the Korean War. Late 50s, we start doing stuff in Vietnam, early 60s. We start spending more on military, and we suddenly start to abuse the creditworthiness of the dollar because our government's running net deficits, and they're getting bigger consistently. Um, foreign creditors are saying, hey, hang on a second. You know, you're printing money. You're, you're spending more than you've got. You're printing money to cover the difference. We don't like that. Um, yeah, you've got this dollar exchange standard. Guess what? We'll send our excess dollars. We've been shipping you a lot of things. We'll send our excess dollars over. You send us gold. U.S. gold supplies got drawn so, down substantially from yeah. you know 600,000 ounces to 260,000 ounces, something like that. Um, in, in the French were the leaders in this because de Gaulle had a, a smart economist who was kind of Austrian in thought pattern, mm -hmm. a guy named Jacques Ruff, and they said, "Give us, you know, give us the gold." Mm -hmm. um, Nixon looks and sees all the gold going out the door, realizes it's strategic, we need it, says, okay, this isn't going to work. I'm going to shut the gold window. That's August 15, 1971. He shuts the gold window. Bretton Woods II is born. Okay, mm -hmm. The dollar, we, we effectively defaulted. I mean, everyone says, well, the right. U.S. has never defaulted. And I said, bullshit. We totally defaulted <laughs> versus, yeah. foreign, versus foreigners in yeah. 1971. It was a full-out default. It wasn't a U.S. default, but it was a foreign default. And the U.S., it didn't matter because people couldn't own gold because Roosevelt had banned it. Okay. So now we're on Bretton Woods too. And by the way, that happened in 71, gold is at 35. Next 10 years, gold went to 800. Mm -hmm. and that's because everyone realized the dollar was getting debased enormously, right. okay? By the way, at 800, we were almost back on a gold standard, but mm. you know, that's a different matter. We're now in Bretton Woods too. At the same time, Henry Kissinger brilliantly figured out that oil was the most important commodity in the world, energy-based form of money, if you will. Mm -hmm. He went to Saudi Arabia, they had security issues, he said, I'll do a deal with you. We'll give you security. We've got a great military. We'll give you security cover. You have to sell your oil in dollars, and then you'll recycle those dollars back into our banking system. The petrodollar was born. Bretton Woods, too. Right, right, right. Dollar recovered. Volcker came in, put in high interest rates. He you know, got the gold thing under control. And even Volcker in his, in his memoirs said, you know, the biggest mistake we made in the 70s was letting the gold price get out of control the way we did, hmm. Okay, implying that they were controlling it and they had and yeah. there was a london gold pool that had blown up and that's part of the story yeah. i've kind of skipped over it's not important anyway so now we're in Bretton woods to the petrodollar okay so that's 1971 to present okay uh -huh. and you know as luke groman has pointed out the dollar kind of fluctuated between you know a certain level vis-a-vis -vis oil over uh -huh. that time period a lot of good deflationary things happened i mean the microchip came along and brought down the cost of everything uh -huh. you know a billion people in china entered the world's product productive workforce mm -hmm. and made a lot of stuff cheap um you know bonds were falling because volcker had pushed interest rates up so high that there was a positive real rate of interest so we got on this enormous deflationary trend mm -hmm. which i think has run its its course right i mean when you have negative yielding bonds yeah. and you have you know um just the you know incredible debt you know, relative to GDP or anything yeah. else, just outstanding levels that have never been seen before. The only other time they've been seen before was World War II. Um, you know, it's a it's a pretty extreme situation. That changed. It started changing with COVID and um, the money printing that came as a result of COVID. And you know what what I think is going on here is you know the Fed is like the drunk that that just can't stop drinking. You know, right. and and so the solution to every problem is to print more money, and it yeah. has to be because the money is needed to service the existing debt. Right. And, you know, the GDP has not grown at the same rate at which the debt has grown. And that becomes ultimately becomes a problem unless your interest rates are zero and they basically are zero. But as a result of all of that, the Fed is now trapped 
in a position where they have to keep printing money, but they've also got runaway inflation. Right. And what triggered that was the COVID printing and then the geopolitical move by Putin, where he basically said, yeah, this paper stuff, I don't buy it. And he mm. knew about the gold scheme. He knew about the paper gold. He went to the GATA conferences. He sent a representative mm. who I've read the, the editorials this guy has written. He went to the GATA conferences. GATA is the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. It's GATA.org, Bill Murphy and Chris Powell. These guys are going to be heroes someday. Yeah. Um, and, and they basically have, have documented all the suppression scheme. And he knew, he, he knows that, you know, it's all paper. Yeah. that the power of the West is based on a paper credit system and that that system, you know, he, he's saying bullshit. I, you know, okay, I call, you know, show me the underlying, mm-hmm. right? Right. <laughs> right? I got the underlying, you know, you want the oil, you, you know, you want the wheat, you want the natural gas, Germany, show me, show me the real stuff. Right. And, you know, to me, that's just an accelerant to what we now call Bretton Woods three and it's being called Bretton Woods Three by kind of the most brilliant monetary analyst out there, a guy named Zoltan Posner mm-hmm. in New York, who writes for Credit Suisse. And he's saying the world is shifting from outside money, or from inside money to outside money. And you see this in two big signposts that happened recently that I think you see this through. One, you know, notice how when the truckers decided to protest up in Canada, mm-hmm. right? You know, Pierre Trudeau says, I'm going to freeze all the bank accounts of those truckers and anyone who supported them. Right. Well, what's that all about? Where did due process of law go there, right? Right. Then Russia decides to illegally and aggressively, you know, invade Ukraine. I'm not endorsing any of that, but they decide to do that. And the U.S. says, fine, we're going to shut you out of SWIFT. And not only that, but we're going to gla- grab your foreign currency reserves. Right. Whoa. Which was 600-plus billion dollars. Oh, wow. Whoa. There's 12 trillion dollars of foreign currency reserves out there floating around the u.s doesn't like you and they can just grab your foreign currency reserves right holy cannoli do i really need to keep my money in u.s dollars in the u.s banking system or should i have some money that's quote unquote outside the system without counterparty risk what two forms of money are there that fulfill that gold and bitcoin right i mean both of these actions were like an advertisement for bitcoin just a blatant advertisement. And every single large money manager and sovereign wealth manager and country manager in the world is sitting there in shock today saying, oh my goodness, the U.S. is not playing by the rules. It's as you say, they mm-hmm. make their own rules right. when it suits them. If you can change the rules of the game, you're always going to win. Okay, fine, except when you actually need the underlying natural gas or your people freeze, Right. And so Putin has actually made a chess move that puts the Western paper system in great jeopardy, in great jeopardy. And, and you know, the only real solution they have, I mean, and they can't go backwards. They can't do a Volcker and push interest rates up and try and make the money sound again because, mm-hmm. you know, 20% interest rates, the whole world will go bankrupt, right? right? Because of the debt so, levels. Yeah, because yeah. of the debt levels. Yeah. And so, I mean, this isn't 1979 when, you know, debt was 30% of GDP back then. Right. It's 130% now, right? right? So as a result of that, They've got no choice but to continue printing. Wow. And so here's what triggers hyperinflation in my book. In my book. Okay. And this is really important to understand. I've read the books about it. And if you look at Reinhard Roger, they have the, the authoritative book on it. And what, it. What it is is hyperinflation gets triggered when enough people within the population realize that there's absolutely no way 
that the authorities can go backwards. Mm. In other words, they understand they're trapped and they know that money printing is a policy right. and it's a policy, and Hayek and, and, and von Mises talked about this as well, yeah. and it's a policy that cannot be reversed. It's a psychological threshold. It, 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 yes, and so, so when we get enough people who have crossed that threshold and go, oh my God, they are gonna dilute this money from now until the point at which it's <laughs> worthless, then what happens is what we all know as Gresham's Law, yep. Sir Thomas Gresham in the 1600s, and that is good money shoves out bad. Yeah. So everybody, the minute you get your money, you're like, well, shit, I'm not keeping it in dollars and I'm not yeah. keeping it in bonds. Maybe I'll keep it in stocks if I think they're gonna be good in 30 years, yeah. but I'm gonna take that money, I'm gonna go buy something. Right. I'm gonna buy a house, I'm gonna buy a car, I'm gonna buy gold, I'm gonna buy Bitcoin, I'm gonna buy something that I know cannot be debased. Right. And, and, and when enough people reach that point, it's all over. It's self-fulfilling. It's self-fulfilling, the yeah. currencies, because it's a rush for the exits. Yeah. I mean, you realize that, you know, you better get that thing before somebody else gets it, or you're going to end up, you know, the, the, the paper ticket that's called $100, <laughs> that's going to be a monopoly ticket. Yeah. So you better spend it on something while you can right. before it becomes a monopoly ticket. Right? It's a game of hot potato that's it's accelerating. A, it's a very rapid game of hot potato yeah. or, or, you know, musical chairs, yeah. right? And you're just like, I got to get a chair. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's to me where we're going. The rate at which we get there... Yeah, you know, it's it's hard. There'll be a lot of moves and counter moves and yeah. there's a lot of volatility, right? That's so interesting. So inside money would be inside the fiat currency complex. Correct. Outside is counterparty free money. Exactly. Gold or Bitcoin. Exactly right. Those are the two. And, and, the, and to a degree, commodities. I mean, because, yeah. I mean, commodities aren't perfect money. Right. But, you know, oil, wheat, I mean, But they steel. can't be debased. There's a proof of work exactly. underlying their existence. You, you don't get them for free. Right, right. <laughs> you just don't get them for free. Yeah. You don't yeah. get oil unless you explore and pull it out of the ground. Right. You don't get wheat unless you plant and harvest. Right. You know, it's real stuff. Yeah. Right? It's amazing. So yeah. this whole illusion... All the paper uh, stuff... Is just going to evaporate. It's, it's just going to yeah. blow up. Wow. It's just going to be gone. This freezing of bank accounts is so interesting. Right. Like it's one thing to see it. I agree with you, by the way, that it's um, Justin Trudeau freezing the bank accounts of peaceful protesters and then labeling them domestic terrorists is a symptom of this fiat nonsense. Of course it is. Well, or, or even somebody, even if you weren't a protester, but you supported them. Yes. You said, you know, I'm generally sympathetic to that cause. I'll send them $25. Right freeze your bank account right oh, please right it's you know <laughs> it's it's not even private property at that point so it's, right. it's highlighting to the world to your point that money in the bank is not your money Correct. right it's at the leisure of the state or whatever that's authority exactly can right. turn it off that's exactly right. Uh, again if we're talking about that sovereign is he who decides the exception there's a there's a group sitting above you that can take exception to your ownership of that money exactly right so you are not sovereign you are uh, right, you are in servitude to some extent to the group that can Absolutely. that can take so, can take exception to your property. It's so that's one level, right? right? That's a big, but then, and this blew my mind. <laughs> Russia having the six hundred plus billion right. frozen and censored. That's at an entirely new level, and these things are essentially back to back, right? This is right. Like a couple of months apart. Right. My my mind immediately goes to what is China thinking. What does India think? What do they think when they see that yeah. once, once they see the U.S. flexing that exception, right, and yes. basically um, uh, uh, going against the sovereignty of Russia, right? Russia had no sovereignty in that money. That's right. Basically, because right. the U.S. can take exception to it. That's right. 
And so all of these things, as you said, you called it a billboard for Bitcoin and gold and gold. And what I would say there is like the power of Bitcoin could be described through this lens is like it's the only monetary database in the world that no one can make an exception to. Correct. Like if you hold your keys, you hold your coin, there's no permission. Words, 12 words no and stopping you're self-sovereign. No exceptions. And no exceptions. And all of these acts of censorship, uh, of, of exception, yep. exceptionalism, whatever you want to call it, it's pushing people over time into this exception-proof database we call Bitcoin. Correct. Correct. And I, I'm just still, like, even to say it right now, I'm blown away that this is real. Like, this has happened so quickly. Oh, me too. Me too. I mean, I... Look, I, I believed in my investment thesis strongly before anything that has happened in the last three months happened. Mm -hmm. But when I saw what happened with, with Canadian, the Canadian truckers, small example, but Russia, mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, this is, this, is, this is huge. And a lot of people say to me, well, okay, great. How come gold hasn't gone up? How come silver hasn't gone up? You know, how come Bitcoin's not 150? Yeah. Give it some time. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it takes... It takes time for people to absorb these things yes. and to understand them and for investment committees. I mean, we're now at the stage where it takes big money to move these markets. Yeah. You know, I mean, us plebes aren't going to, you know, buy a couple of coins here and there. We're not going to move these markets. I mean, we need large institutional, you know, and large sovereign players and large billionaire type people yeah. to start to feel the fear and the pain yeah. and come in. And, you know, they're all being briefed on this right now. Right. And I can just say from the few that I've interacted with, they've all come to the conclusion like, you know what? Uh, yeah, they don't want to. And they've generally looking at me and hearing my pitch. Mm -hmm. They don't want to hear it. They're mm -hmm. in denial. They don't want to hear it. They, right. You know, I'm a crank. They're right. like, you've been saying this for years. Yeah. Okay, Larry. You know, you got this libertarian fantasy, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right. But, but you know what they're doing now? They're kind of like. Well, maybe just in case I need a little allocation. Over right, there. right, right. Yeah. Just in case. Right. Right. And that's the crack. Yes. Because I think I think everyone listening would, would agree that you buy a little Bitcoin, you get to know it, you see the price move, you understand it more, you read about it more. Yeah. You buy some more. Yes. And pretty soon, you know, you're outright, you know, pretty soon you're full fledged orange pilled, you know, trying to convince all your friends and right. neighbors to save right. themselves. Yes. Right. And that's 100%. and that's how it happens. Yeah. That's exactly how it happens. And that, it's so interesting that I get that um, critique a lot as well. Libertarian right. fantasy. Right. And it's like, okay, just think about it very objectively. Counterparty risk. Yeah. Just start and stop at counterparty risk. Yeah. Like, isn't it clear that it's in every individual, every institution, every nation yeah. state's economic interest to hold their wealth in something that's immune to the opinions of counterparties? Yes. I mean, you could just leave it at that, and it's like, okay, gold and Bitcoin. What else seems, is there? Seems clear to me, but a lot of people don't understand the immutability. You know, a lot of, um, I mean, there's, you know, you get a lot of the, you know, the um, uh, the Facebook MySpace argument. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. Oh, there's gonna be another one. that will be better. I, I, I've countered that a lot. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I counter with, you know, the net, Metcalf's law, the network effect. I mean, you know, look, somebody earlier I was listening to said people have a hard time understanding exponential numbers. And, and I think people have a, one of the mistakes, one of the great mistakes I've made as an investor, and I confess this, I made lots of mistakes. One thing is I thought gold was going to the moon in 28. And mm -hmm. It did for a while, and then it didn't. Lost a lot of money. Um, but one of the other great mistakes I made post-08, and I, I, was an, I was a big investor in the internet in early days, made a lot of money there, um, was I missed the value of networks and how networks don't grow linearly, they grow geometrically right. in value. Right. And so I was looking, I was smart enough to look at Amazon 
And I was smart enough to look at Facebook and I was smart enough to look at Google and all mm -hmm. the, all the network based businesses out there. And you know, and eBay, I, I participated in that one, but, and I, and I never could get there based on the valuation. I was kind of like, mm. Jesus, Amazon. Yeah, it's a good business it's growing. The trend is there, but right. it's not making any money. Right. And you know, the multiples are crazy and yeah. da, 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 da. I didn't understand the value, the way value accretes and compounds when you get a network that more or less just sucks everybody in. You have to either play or be yeah. left behind. Almost like a natural monopoly. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It yeah. is a natural monopoly. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, if you want to do a search, you're going to use Google. You're yeah. not going to go to Bing. Right. You know, I mean, if, you know, it, and so, these networks, and, and so they all, I mean, if you look at the performance, the stock performance of all of those companies in the past 10 years, it's just been lights out, mm -hmm. just absolutely lights. I missed all of them. Yeah. And, and, and so when Bitcoin came along in 2013, I could see it was the same sort of thing. You know, I said, you know what, I'm not going to miss this one. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same idea. It's just applied to money. Yeah. And, you know, and it's at the next layer up. Yeah. You know, and, and so people say, well, yeah, but, you know, the transaction are expensive. What happens when the mining rewards gone? I'm like... That's why Jack Mahler's lives. I mean, you know, lightning's yeah. going to fix all that. Yeah. At least that's my belief. Yeah. No, I agree. You know, so it, it's, to me, you know, I've never seen such an asymmetric bet. And I'm absolutely sure it's going to ultimately replace gold. The only place I take issue with Michael Saylor is I don't think gold is its enemy. I think gold is a friend because mm. we're, we're all the common enemy is destroying the fiat system. And you want anything going, you want to move as much capital as you can into sound money because that drains the fiat system. That's right. what you want to have happen. Yeah. And there are a lot of boomers who sadly don't fully understand Bitcoin and therefore they're not going to embrace Bitcoin. So you get them hooked on, you know, you get them in the entry drug, the gateway drug, which is gold, yeah. right? And then <laughs> once right. they're a gold holder, then you just try and show them, okay, you, you hold gold, you understand why, because yeah. they're printing money and it's being debased. Bitcoin's just a better form of gold. Yeah. And let me let me tell you why. And, they, and initially they're skeptical, but ultimately, I've migrated tons of my clients who were anti-Bitcoin yeah. into Bitcoiners. And, you know, I went to a gold conference. I gave a big speech about a year ago. You know, we asked, I mean, these are, and these are old people in general. I mean, the gold bugs in general are an older crowd, right? Mm -hmm. 40 to, you know, 80. Mm -hmm. And so that's what the audience was, probably a lot of 60 and 70 year olds. And they asked the question, how many of you guys own Bitcoin? Half the hands went up. Hmm. So yeah, yeah, right? Impressive, right? So people... You know, gold people get it. I mean, they yeah. certainly get the Austrian piece of it. Yes. Right? They just need to be convinced this isn't some toy. And a lot of them have been turned off by all the scams and the shit coins and the right. doge. And, you know, right. and I understand so. that. I mean, yeah. they look at that and they go, hey, this is pump and dump bullshit. Mm -hmm. And I say, you're right. That is all pump and dump bullshit, except this one piece of code, yeah. which solved a problem. You know, the Byzantine general's problem that yeah. nobody else has solved. Right. Right. And therefore, you got to understand this thing. Yes. Because it, it's going to ultimately replace gold. I've, I've you know, a, a lot of feedback from my audience has been the most effective form of orange pilling they ever received is me going like to the beginning of money. What is money? The properties right. of money, the reason gold was desired. Right. And then once you have that lens, you're like, oh, gold was the most divisible, durable, recognizable, portable, scarce thing we had. And then you take that same lens and apply it to Bitcoin. Like right. that's it's obvious almost at that point. Right. It's like this thing takes everything gold did. And, and it's and verifiable. Per perfects it in a <laughs> right. way. Exactly. Almost. Something More like easily that. transferable, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. And um, that, it's just interesting about Bitcoin because it's such, it's like you're looking at this thing, it's brand new, it's a modern innovation, yeah. but that's not where you need to start actually. You no. need to forget about all that, go back to the beginning of time. Right. Work your way through this history right. and then look at that innovation with right. fresh eyes right. and you can get it. Right. Um, exactly right. What, you brought up something there, the Byzantine general's problem, which a lot of people perhaps don't understand. 
um, this idea that we were never able to propagate a message through inherently antagonistic parties, right? Parties right. that we can't trust. Right. And get the message out with high fidelity out the yes. other end. That yes. was a, an unsolved computer science problem. Exactly. Basically. And that's what Bitcoin is. It's, it's a, a proof it's of a work solution did. to that. Yeah, it, it solved it. You might appreciate that. I've, and this, um, this came up from a few conversations I had, but the idea that the only way to stop Bitcoin is for actually nation states themselves to solve their own Byzantine generals problem, right? They all need to coordinate yes. in a trusted way, all of them, yes. with no defectors, Yes, is the only viable geopolitical strategy to stop Bitcoin. I think that's right. But so like, so they would need to solve, nation states would need to solve the Byzantine generals problem to stop the solution to Byzantine generals problem. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's right. And I think, you know, and, and, and thank God that the governments we have are stupid enough that they didn't squash it in its youth. Right. That they that ignored the it shot. and they let it get this far because yeah. in my opinion, the horse is out of the barn. Yeah. And, and nation states, some have tried to squash it, right? China's yeah. trying. How's that working out? Right. I mean, there's still some of it going on there. Yeah. And, you know, my view is that, you know, the, I mean, obviously China and Russia are going to are making the bet that I mean, we're in a monetary crack up boom, mm -hmm. right? And we're in a, yes. you know, the money is failing. That's this is right. a once in a hundred year event, right? This is called this. Yeah, it's called it, right? It's coming. And they know it. So there's going to be a great monetary reset. We can all see that coming. And Russia and China are betting on gold. Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, they've clearly made that bet. Huh. Um, probably China more than Russia, yeah. obviously, because Russia, you know, I saw that Gazprom was actually mining some Bitcoin. But, yeah. uh, you know, so they've made the bet on gold. The U.S. has a wonderful opportunity right. to leapfrog both of those yeah. and go to Bitcoin as, as our monetary standard, which is why I hope Jason Lowry succeeds yes. in convincing the Pentagon that yeah. that's the right thing to do, right? I completely agree. Yeah. What do you think about, because it seems like the U.S. is in such a unique position with the global reserve currency that they could actually, you could start to, the U.S. could yeah. accumulate Bitcoin now quietly. Absolutely. And then could almost induce hyper-Bitcoinization, right? Yes. And maybe even, I don't know, via the SWIFT network or its global reach, also probably sell Bitcoin to a lot of these countries. Possibly. Yeah. Uh, it's in such an advantageous position of like limited to no downside because you're just printing money to buy the to thing. Buy it. Yeah. That's so right. you have no cost effect. I mean, yeah. You're exporting a lot of that cost, right? right? If it's just inflation, you can export a lot of that to the world, but you have potentially unlimited upside with being the primary, being in prime position on the Bitcoin network in terms at the geopolitical scale. What do you think about that? I think it's fabulous. I think it's correct. And I think they should do it. I just don't think that the politicians, I mean, the Pentagon, yeah. there might be people in there who are smart enough and get it yeah. and realize that that's what we should do. Yeah. That that's a leapfrogging move over China. Yeah. Okay. But think about it from the politician's point of view. I mean, you know, the Winklevi are going to be the two richest people in the country. <laughs> you know, Warren Buffett's not going to be. Bill Gates is not going to be. I mean, you know, um, I greatly fear that, you know, part of what bothers a lot of people in government about, you know, them seeing Bitcoin win is that they know that a lot of people who own Bitcoin are going to be very, very wealthy and very, very powerful. Mm. And they don't want to see that happen. Mm. I mean, I think, you know, sadly, I think between now and when we get back to sound money, because I've seen it, I've seen it in some of the status saying it, you know, they're going to try and blame this monetary system failure on gold and Bitcoin holders. They're going to blame everything. You know, they're going to they're going to point fingers. Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, hopefully I think people are going to be smart enough to realize that the, the reason the currency failed is because they printed too much of it. 
Yeah. You know, I think the average person knows that. But, um, you know, sadly, I think we all have to be prepared for, you know, confiscation, capital gains taxes. I mean, yeah. these people have proven they will go as far as they have to go to protect their privilege. I mean, look at the ML, you know, look at the London Metals Exchange with nickel, yeah. look at the GameStop thing, look at yeah. the short selling ban in 2008. I mean, you know, this, this isn't going to be easy. I mean, they're going to come after us, which is why, you know, the, the 12 words self-sovereign, mm-hmm. you know, is, is an important thing. And, you know, God knows there are going to be a lot of boating accidents. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, there really are. Because, yeah. I mean, because, you know, we got we to gotta kill this beast. I mean, yeah. we got to kill this fiat beast. And the fiat beast is going to work to preserve itself. I mean, you look at the Assignat and when it failed in France back mm-hmm. in the yeah. 1789 period. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were basically putting, you know, gold holders under, under the guillotine. Yeah. You know, you had to report your gold because you were obviously, if you're holding gold in, in favor of Assignats, you were trying to beat the monetary inflation. Mm-hmm. If you didn't report it and they found you hadn't reported, they, they'd chop your head off. Yeah. So, you know, I mean... Governments don't give up what they've got without a struggle. Right. And sadly, and, and look at the people we've got in our government. These aren't necessarily good people. Right. I mean, they're not likely to sit there and say, you know, we kind of messed up this monetary system. We should probably try and fix it. Let's do a one-time reset in a fair way and try and distribute things fairly and make the rules fair going forward. I mean, that's what an enlightened government would do. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the odds of our government doing that? I don't know. They're not great, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I've lost, I think post-COVID lost quite a bit of faith right. to see people eating up these narratives that are oh, being fed to them. Horrible. And I'm like, I thought there was more critical thinking in in the population. Yeah, but sadly, there's not. And, and, and further, sadly, you know, as people get more, as, as life becomes harder, as yeah. you have to work harder just to put food on the table and health care and as you know, as your as your life becomes more difficult, you have less time mm-hmm. to do the research and to do the yes. critical thinking. Yeah, you know, it's and it's sad because your time is being stolen via because inflation. your time is being stolen. Yeah, yeah through the fiat. Yeah, yeah. I, I hold out some optimism that you know, conversations like this, this decentralized media dialogue thing, like you know, you see the Joe Rogans of the world, as you said, competing with mainstream media. Hopefully, that's waking. It's, up the right people, the it, right look, remnant. It's, if you will. it's 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 going the right way, and this country is full of a lot of great people. Yeah, I really sincerely believe that. I'm not leaving. You know, I'm going to fight till the end. I think there are a lot. You know, leaders will emerge. Mm-hmm. I mean, Suarez will be president in my view one day. Yeah. Right. I mean, well, we're let's you know hope so. right. I mean, <laughs> you know, we're going to have. I mean, the Bitcoiners are going to be very well to do. Yeah. We're going to we're going to have Bitcoiners in government. We've already got a few. We'll get yeah. more. Yeah. You know, so this is you know. Your generation is going to be the hero generation that fixes this broke fixes this broken system. Every time you say that, I get chills. So. Yeah, but the, well, but I'm taking <laughs> it seriously. But the sad the sad thing is, the sad thing is there, there's going to be it's going to be rough. I mean, yeah. Let's not kid ourselves. It's going to be rough for sure. And that's why we got to try and help everyone around us. We got to orange pill as many people as we can. Yeah. We got to protect folks. And you know what I just hope is we can do it all without you know with all the death and killing. I mean the yeah. you know we don't. I mean. Generally speaking, fourth turnings have not occurred without a major war taking place. Right. Uh, you know, maybe we can break a trend here. You know, maybe we can break a trend. I sure hope so. Yeah, but sure it feels so. more like the American Revolution 2.0, right? Where maybe uh, yeah. not not to say. And when I say that, I don't mean the country necessarily, but the ethos and principles that America was founded upon. That it's separated from the tyranny right. of you know the British central bank largely. Right that type of separation again, but at a global scale, or like global separation right. from central banking. Yeah, and no, I think that's right. And I think, 
you know, if we can avoid a nuclear exchange with these two other nuclear powers and, yeah. you know, these, if, if, if the government fails, if it kind of wilts, so to speak, yeah. um, you know, new leaders will emerge. Yeah. And that's, that's what we got to count on. Yeah. That the, the new leaders will then work to educate the masses of why the, why the currency failed. Yeah. And instruct everybody on why we need a sound currency. Yes. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll reset it and things will get pretty good pretty quick, in my opinion, once yeah. we reset it. Right. Yeah, 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 and I like how you say here too that heroes will rise. Oh yeah, this is very important. So in Bitcoin, yeah. there's this whole cultural norm of like kill your heroes, and in one way I think maybe that's useful to some extent. But what I, w- I would say it's not kill your heroes. Don't idolize your heroes, right? But we need heroes. You need people to actually stand up against this nonsense. Absolutely, that's how anything gets done in history. Absolutely. So the idea of kill all your call heroes, heroes, just call them leaders. Yeah. I mean, we're the you know, I mean, some people maybe call the you know the founding fathers you know heroes, but I, I just I thought they were leaders. They right. were just they were regular men who stepped forward and said, "Look, this is intolerable. We're not living underneath this right. rule. We're gonna we're gonna try to create a better system." Yes. Right. And. I, you know, I think if you poll, you know, this country, you would find, I mean, it, it, the country's so broken. I mean, 80% of this country wants term limits. We can't get it. Right. What kind of representative democracy is that? Right. That's bullshit. Right. I mean, this country, if somebody were to come forward and truly say, I mean, hell, they, you know, they, they followed a guy who talked about draining the swamp, who, you know, I, I got to be careful here because I'm sure there are people who support him, but, you know, who, who frankly is pretty flawed. But I mean, it was just, it just shows you how determined they were to teach anything other than the status quo, which is what, which is what Clinton represented. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? So, right, right, right. I mean, and, and, and there'll be better versions of that guy coming in yeah. my view, in my view, much yeah. better versions, you know? Yeah. And I, I, you know, I really appreciate this conversation oh, because I enjoyed we, <laughs> we've got to talk about, I mean, it starts with talking about it, right? We've got to talk about the realities yeah. that we face. Yep. Talk about the work that needs to be done. Yep. Um, you know, what, what is the quote about evil happening when good men do nothing Absolutely. and say nothing? Like, it, it's the time is now. Well, that's right. And, and people say to me, well, what can I do? And I say, look, your first responsibility is to yourself and your family. Mm-hmm. So make sure you have a decent piece of your investments in sound money themes. Mm-hmm. The second thing is do everything you can to educate all your neighbors, all your friends. I mean, become a broken record. You know, my wife, we go to cocktail parties. My wife says, please don't talk about gold yeah. and Bitcoin. We need, we need friends around here. And they're getting tired of hearing about it. And I'm like, I'm not stopping. Yeah. You know, I'm going to keep talking about gold and Bitcoin because, you know, to me, I mean, this is what I know. This is what I've studied. This is, I've, I've been fighting this battle long before Bitcoin existed, yeah. supporting Ron Paul and others. And, and, you know, it's to me, it's a battle worth fighting. I mean, I want my legacy to be that I fought hard for sound money. You know, I want my kids and my grandkids to recognize that that's what I did. Amen to that. You know, Larry, thank you so much. Thank you. I um, really enjoyed it. It was an honor you, to be with you. Could it really you please was. let my audience know where they can find out more about oh, you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Work. So uh, I have a website. Um, all my newsletters are free. You can get on my mailing list for free. We won't spam you. It's uh, EMA2, Edward Mark Alpha, the number two.com. That's my firm. And then um, I'm on Twitter a lot. I'm a loudmouth, but I try to, anything <laughs> related to sound money, I try to talk about it. Uh, and it's just my name on Twitter, Lawrence, at Lawrence Lepard. And uh, I try to interact on, you know, DMs and everything else. And if I can help people in any way, I'd like to do that. So, Thank you so much, Larry. Yeah, thank you. I really yeah. enjoyed it. It was an honor. Same here.